You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Thesis on Joan podcast. I'm Holly, they, them. And I'm Megan, she, her. Thesis on Joan is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join me and Holly, fan queers and theater professionals, as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while querying the canon along the way. Welcome to our first episode. We are so grateful and excited to have this platform to lift up voices from our community. We're releasing our first episode for Pride and want to acknowledge that we would not have the rights we enjoy today if not for the Black and Brown, trans and queer folks, and particularly Black trans women who started and led the movements to fight for LGBTQ plus rights. There is still so much work to do to protect and liberate the Black trans community especially. We remember and mourn the recent murders of Nina Pop, Tony McDade, Dominique Remy Fells, Raya Milton, Selena Reyes-Hernandez, and too many others. As a white person and a non-Black person of color, Megan and I are committed to practicing anti-racism, to hold ourselves accountable when we mess up, to keep listening, learning, unlearning, have uncomfortable conversations, and taking action to fight white supremacy. We encourage everyone listening in New York to email and call their city council members today to demand they commit to defund the NYPD by $1 billion before the budget goes into effect on July 1st. We'll post links to more information and scripts in our show notes. You'll learn more about Megan and I in an upcoming episode and lots more from our conversations with other LGBTQ plus theater folk on how we move forward and make our community safer and more equitable. We can't wait to build a queer community for discussion and joy around our shared love of theater. So today we're sitting down with Ian Field-Stewart. Ian is a New York-based storyteller working at the intersection of performance and activism. As a performer, Ian has worked consistently in productions in New York City venues such as Joe's Pub, Dixon Place, La Mama, and many more. Recent television appearances include Pose, The Bold Type, and the upcoming Netflix series Dash and Lily. Ian can also be seen on BuzzFeed LGBT, GLAAD, Inside Edition, the You Had Me at Black podcast, the hashtag SafeWord Society podcast, the Podcast of Color, the Is It Transphobic podcast, and serves as the co-host of the Topics Include podcast. 
In the summer of 2017, Ian was selected out of over 500 applicants to be one of the 15 U.S. Fellows for Humanity in Action's 2017 John Lewis Fellowship. During this fellowship, Ian studied and organized with contemporary and historic civil rights leaders in Atlanta, Georgia, exploring the legacy of civil rights movement and its roots in present-day social justice movements. Since then, Ian has developed a theatrical consulting and teaching artist practice, which spans from talkback facilitation and teaching artistry to community outreach and organizing. Spaces that have benefited from Ian's practice include the Alliance of Resident Theaters, Lincoln Center Theater, MCC Theater, Playwrights Horizons, Rattlestick Playwrights Theater, Heartbeat Opera, Music Theater Factory, NYC Charter Schools, and the Rose M. Singer Center on Rikers Island. Ian is also the founder of The Ochre Project. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited. Um, would you mind starting with your name, your pronouns, and whatever you want to share of how you identify? Sure. My name is Ian Field-Stewart. I use they, them, she, her pronouns. I'm the founder of The Ochre Project, and I'm a Black, queer, trans, feminine storyteller working at the intersection of theater and activism. So first off, you have so many incredible skills, performer, director, choreographer. Uh, how has your identity and the queer community influenced how you approach these roles and different projects that you take on? Ooh, um, I think uh, it, it informs everything. And it informs like uh, who I want to work with, who I want to center, whose stories I'm most interested in, um, and whose stories I'm interested in reclaiming. Um, yeah, in, in every way, uh, being queer has been essential to uh, my growth and essential to sort of how I see and understand and create. Yeah. Would you rather reinvent uh, like queer canon roles or would you rather do new work? Mm, a mixture. I think uh, there is something that is so exciting about um, people who purposefully recreate um, old, older texts or classic texts and re, um, not so much re-envision them, but envision them as they could have been. For example, like I, I actually find myself drawn to uh, the Tennessee Williams canon, not because I, I, not because I don't think that it's been horribly overdone, but um, because, uh, <laughs> but because I think that it, it's interesting to have you know a writer who is so famously grappling on stage with um, his queerness through the bodies of women. And to sort of like reclaim those roles um, in, in with queer bodies, I wonder what we might find out about what he was trying to say or what he could have said um, through those texts. So I think things like that, where it's like taking sort of these like classic canons of theater and re-envisioning them, not just for the sake of like placing um, various bodies on stage, but for the sake of actually understanding the origin of these uh, playwrights and the time in which they were um, creating and what they were um trying to work out for themselves and um, exploring it with the ability that we have today, I think that would be really fascinating to see. Um, but um, I'm not invested in like, you know, a revival for the sake, for a revival's sake. Um, so I also, I think there's a value in both of them. Um, I think you just have to be intentional either way in what you're creating. Amazing. I never thought about doing a Tennessee Williams show that way. And it feels like the only way that it should be thought about right now. (laughs) There's so many revivals of Tennessee Williams. And like, if we have to see another cat on a hot tin roof with a pale white woman, you know, like lounging on a caftan in a caftan somewhere. I mean, it's, it's, the story has been told the same way so many times. Um, But I think that actually looking at what this writer was really kind of trying to explore. And there's so much like 
text and so much study available about Tennessee Williams and um, what he was trying to kind of like explore with these like strong women characters. Um, and so many queer writers are writing like that, that it feels like, you know, what, what would it be like to just see these characters played out um, in a body that was closer to Tennessee Williams or even in a body that is distinctly queer um, and not necessarily close to Tennessee Williams, but in a body that is distinctly queer? And what could we uncover about um, what he was writing? You mentioned Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Is there a show like that show or another Tennessee Williams show or any other, I guess, what's perceived as a canon show that you would like to interpret or um, well, um, revive? The irony is, as a, a when I think it was the last uh, like professional thing that I did on when when outside was still open uh, was a final callback for um, uh, for um, a streetcar named Desire. And um, I would have been really excited to be part of that production and just to kind of be a part of that world and see what, um, see what that uh, team would have created. If I, if I got it, you know, I'm, I'm presumptuous in, the, in thinking that I would have gotten it. But, you know, I, I like to think that I'm talented. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I think that like a streetcar, uh, there are a lot of like sort of those classic uh, um, Southern women that as a, as a black, you know, trans woman from the South, like I grew up, you know, with so many of those stories surrounding me that I would be really interested to sort of like re-explore some of those like classic Southern women and those classic Southern bells through my own body and see like what can come of it. Um both, both racially and um, gender-wise. Oh, yeah, I would love to see that. I know. I hope we get to. That's awesome. Would, would you direct those projects? No, 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 no. I want to. Um, <laughs> I'm. I'm. I. I, uh, I want to act in them. I. I, I have so many great ideas um, uh, for uh, plays and how to reinterpret them. But I feel like, um, as far as like my passion, my passion has absolutely always been to be on the stage. I'm a triple Leo, and I'd like a four. Like I have like four fire placements in my primary chart, so like I can't help. <laughs> like need that attention um and need to just like <laughs> occupy physical space um but uh which you know i go to therapy for to work on uh, but uh but um yeah i think that like directing is something that i feel like is later down the road for me i think that right now i'm just in a place where i feel so um ready to tell um those stories with my own body um that i think directing is something that i will that will i will kind of get to when i've sort of, when i feel sort of like satisfied with not, not satisfied because no one ever wants to feel like just satisfied but um you know when i feel like more content with kind of like when i don't have that burning desire you know to like do this next step in my acting life um but uh but i i, I would love to sort of like find a director who's willing for me to just be like hey what do you think of this and then i just pass it on to them and then they cast me so <laughs> i don't know if that's a realistic ask but um you know you're putting it out there, so hopefully it happens. Why not? You know, we're in quarantine. No, no theaters have not much theaters happening anywhere. So I guess you know, while we're here, I might as well put out some ideas. Exactly. One of your roles that I did see, uh, I saw a screening for the web series The Feels that you co-star oh. in, uh, which is so beautiful and it made me so happy. And and how did you get involved with that project? Um, I got involved with that project. So um, it's a funny story because um, in 2018, I'm going to say it was, done too far long ago. <laughs> so long ago. But, um, uh, in 2018, I was working for a publicist um, who ended up working with uh, The Fields. And so I was at the screening of their second season. And I absolutely fell in love with the format. I thought that it was such a... Um, uh, which and I was so surprised at how much I was connecting with this, you know, this this white man and his queer experiences that he was like exploring. Um, but I was um, really struck by the the um, the simplicity and the and the um, the 
true core of humanity that seemed to be lingering within it. And so I was so grateful um, to see that and witness that. And so I kind of watched the whole series and I was so fascinated by the form, by everything that they were doing. And so I reached out to Tim Manley and was like, Hey, you know, if, if they're, if, when, y'all, when y'all are doing season three, like, please consider me for an audition. And Tim being very kind was like, Oh, please you don't have to audition. Um, and so then I saw, you know, they they had started and I didn't hear anything. And then, um, I was just very blessed that my friend, uh, Sada Ramirez, uh, just was working with Tim. They had gotten connected and they were and Sada was going to do a uh, part of season three. And Sada said, Hey, you know, um, who I, 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 for this story that we're creating of this, you know, polyamorous couple, I want, you know, um, Ian to be my primary partner in that. I think she'd be great for the role. And I was so blown away and touched by that. Obviously, you know, you love it when your friends want to recommend you for projects um, and believe in you. Um, and so that was, that's how I got started with that. And then I, and I have to give a huge shout out to that team because, um, Sada, as well as uh, like they, they've gotten three Emmy nominations, which is such a blessing and such a huge thing and all kinds of awards and they deserve every bit of them. Um, so I'm just so proud of that team and so proud of that project. It was a really beautiful time and I'm really glad I got to be part of it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I definitely went back and watched the whole series after the screening and um, loved everything, everything. It's so, it's so good. And it's just so like, I love, um, it, it's, it's nice and short. You get like sort of glimpses into these people's lives and it's just a fascinating way to, way to tell stories um, and to tell very complicated emotions in a very short amount of time. And that was, that was just so thrilling to me. So I really loved being a part of that project. Yeah. And we are huge Sato Ramirez fans as well. So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she's, she's pretty easy to be a fan of. She's an amazing uh, human being. Yes, for sure. Yeah. How could you not be? Yeah. <laughs> very, sure. very, very grateful to call her my friend and also my uh, co co-star. Yeah. Which is weird to say. That's incredible. <laughs> she asked for you specifically. I know. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it was such, it was such a humbling and, and beautiful thing. So I'm very, very grateful to her. Very grateful to Tim and that whole team for just treating me like a, like a true queen. I was like, Oh, wow. Really appreciate y'all. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And in this quarantine time, it's one of the few things that people can actually just go watch. You can go see it. It's yeah, great. That's, <laughs> I, I actually have like gone back to that that show specifically and looked at it and just been like, wow, that was a, I, I recently watched um, our, um, it's the see it's, uh, oh God, what is it called now? But um, it's been a while since I actually looked at the title, but um, <laughs> it's just our scene where uh, Sada is waking up and sort of experiencing, you know, morning process. And I'm like helping her through that through like, and it was, just, and again, just so simple such a simple scene, not much lines in it, but we just got to do so much with it. And it was, it was really great. Yeah. So beautiful. And the simplicity of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So what other theater artists, um, have made you feel seen, made you feel represented or like kind of welcomed you into their family? If any, (laughs) um, you know, you know, um, it, there, in so many ways, I've I've been able to work with some really incredible people. I'm thinking in particular of um, the Pack Theater, um, run by uh, Jenny, uh, run by Jenny Reed and some um, Samantha Shepard. Um, those those two women have um, been so good to me and have really create. They've um, brought me back for two of their shows um, to be in development with, and I think they're one of the only. Um, people that I've worked with who have brought me back for a second show and not because they didn't want, you know, not because I'm a hard to work with. I mean, at least I hope not. Um, I've never gotten that feedback before, <laughs> but, um, uh, at least, at least not, not with people that I really like cared if they thought it was a problem or not. Not like working with me and it's, but it's not, it's not for any reason that I have an issue with. It's more because like, you know, they don't like me telling them that they're racist. So not liking to work with me. I'm very comfortable with that. But, um, but uh, the the Pack Theater and Sam and Jenny have been so so good to me and have really supported my art and um, I think that 
they have um, they have demonstrated something in their in their art- artistry and storytelling that I think a lot of a lot more theaters need to embrace, which is that you know you're not just bringing in trans people um, just to be part of the one show that you create, but that you're bringing them back for multiple shows. Um, and so uh, the first project that I did with them uh, was False Stars, um, and that project um, I actually didn't get it. Ended up end up getting to do the final production. Um, Ashton Munez uh, came in to uh, fulfill my role. And um, the dedication that team had from the beginning of making sure that this role that I had created with them, because that's their process is to hire a cast and then create the and create with the director and the playwright and the whole team is kind of part of creating the, creating the show. Um, which is, yeah, it's, it's so dope. And, um, and it's so brilliantly done. And um, but but their dedication to making sure that the role would be that I wouldn't be replaced by someone who didn't look you know who wasn't me was um, a, a bare minimum but like a truly a good bare minimum to see people fulfill because a lot of people don't fulfill that and so um, I was really grateful for that and then getting to do um, sex play with them which like people are still talking about and I still think about every day as far as like the conversation we were able to create around sex and sexuality and joy and pleasure. Um, just love that team so much, love that theater company and really grateful for them. And then um, other theater companies that I've worked with, um, MCC Theater has been really good to me um, as just as far as um, uh, consulting and facilitating. I'm still trying to get it, get in for that audition. I don't know what the show's going to be, but I'm determined that I'm going to be on an MCC stage one day. So um, we'll see when that happens uh, and I'm claiming it now. But um, they, they, they've been also been so good to me and so um, so kind to me and uh, so welcoming of my artistry. Um, I've worked with a lot of really wonderful people and I've been blessed to do that. Um, I, I'm happy to say that the list of people who I definitively do not work with and do not really fuck with um, is, is fairly short. So I'm, I'm grateful for that, for that experience. Yeah. That's really great to hear. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so you're also a teaching artist. Uh, what do you want the next generation of queer and trans artists to know and have as resources? Mm. Um, I think I, I want them to know that they can take these resources for themselves. That the resources exist, even if they are told that they don't. Um, I uh, am just constantly in amazement of young people. Uh, I recently, um, this is not something I did as a teaching artist, but um, a young person reached out to me, just found me on Google and reached out to me um, by email and wanted to do an interview for me for um, their school project. Um, that they Love were that. Asked, like, right. They were asked to interview like um, activists uh, that they wanted to th- to interview them and to like create like a creative project out of it. And this person created the most like like first of all had an incredibly insightful interview for being twelve years old. And I thought they oh were my college. Gosh. I thought they were college student when I went into it. And then I saw this young person in front of me. I was like, oh, that better be your mama next to you. I don't know why you and I are talking <laughs> on a, like I don't talk to children like this on a private line. What's wrong? <laughs> Like their mother was there. I want to be very clear about that. I was yeah. not talking to a random child. Like I don't I'm very clear about that. But um, they they had such insightful questions, and um, and the, the they they recently sent me the product and created like some really beautiful art. Like they created a whole portrait of me and all this kind of stuff. It was very very humbling, very beautiful, and to just meet a you know a twelve year old who was sitting with their mother and like naming and claiming themselves, you know, saying like I use they them pronouns. This is my name, and to do it like you know and they were just and to just I, I I did not have that gumption I did not have that um that language available to me I did not have that kind of uh, young genius when I was their age and so um so just just to be able to see that um makes me know that the kids are going to be all right in fact they're already all right they're I, I have so much more faith in children than I will ever have in adults yeah I mean I think a, a large reason 
kids today are able to do that is because of people like you who are out there and doing such amazing work. So I feel like that's going to happen a lot more to you in your future. I really, really appreciate that. I do not, I do not like to think of myself in that way. Cause I'm like, girl, you trash. Don't even, but um, <laughs> once again, once again, I'm in therapy dealing with my four fire placements. So I have to be very cautious about the kind of like celebration I give to myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Um, can you share a little bit more about the work you've done with theaters as a cultural competency consultant? Um, if there's like any examples that you would like to share with us. Sure. Um, my work as a cultural competency consultant. Um, most recently, I worked with um, a Longworth Theater, also another another theater company that's probably like the best that I've ever worked with as far as that that line of work. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't have much to do, which was like kind of the ideal thing, you know. Um, but uh, my work with that with uh, them was involved in kind of just being in the room during auditions, uh, or dur- in the room during uh, rehearsals, sorry, and um, making sure that the space was uh, crafted uh, consciously and consistently and uh, and making sure that, you know, it wasn't on the labor of the actors or the trans people in the room to, to be educators when they were not there, when they were not hired as such. Um, it can be... Um, it can be really beautiful and really touching and really um, grounding work. And it can also be incredibly frustrating and incredibly um, aggravating work. Um, and so finding the balance of that is really key for me um, and making sure that I'm very conscious about like um, where I sign up for what and with whom I sign up is uh, is pretty crucial to making that process, making that process move smoothly. Cause I think that um, when I was doing, um, when I first started this out, I was doing kind of more like community engagement work. And, um, I very quickly have found that that does not work for me because I feel like, you know, as much as I want that work to be really grounded, I think that what tends to happen is that people bring you on more for ticketing and marketing. And they are kind of, you know, saying like essentially kind of bringing you in to say, Oh, we'll bring in all of the the black people and all the trans people. And you'll have no say in the process of actually like crafting the space that you're bringing these folks into. And I'm like, that doesn't work for me. That's not how I operate because I have made, I have been very intentional in my art and in my career of making sure that my name has some weight behind it. So that if my name is attached to a project, you know, that that's a project that you can trust. Um, if you are black and trans specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, so that, that has been, so that has been part of the journey is also like realizing like people are not ready to really talk about what community engagement actually looks like. And really cultural competency is actually a lot more of the work that people are doing when they kind of are entering into the field of like, or what they hope they are going to be doing when they enter in the field of like community development work and, and, and and yet, like nonprofit, the nonprofit industrial complex of like theaters is much more dedicated to like bringing folks in in that capacity for like uh, ticketing and marketing and things like that. And I'm just not, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not really interested in that. That doesn't that doesn't serve me or my community. And I don't think it will happen authentically if the work that you're doing doesn't take place to begin exactly. with. Exactly. You know, right? I can't, I can't make, I can't like bring people into a so quote unquote anti-racist space when I have not seen the anti-racism work involved. And I'm not like part of that crucial process, especially when I'm like one of the only, if not the only uh, black trans person in the space. Um, so I am, uh, so that's kind of what, what that work has been for me. And uh and now I don't, I don't know when I'm going to really be able to do that work now because of everything going on with the Oka project. Um, but, um, but so grateful for, um, for the ability to, to do that work when I can do it. And I'm just curious, has there ever been a commercial property or production that's reached out to you? Um, actually, yes. Okay. Uh, that's good yes, to hear. <laughs> yes. Um, the, uh, 
of all the shows, uh, the cast of Tootsie actually reached out to me <laughs> and, and me and, uh, me and me and Nyla at the Okra Project actually, and um, wanted to do some work with us. Uh, we kind of came on a little too late in the process to really get a foothold in. Um, but yeah, there have been uh, there have been some like sort of commercial whisperings that have happened that have kind of like people have been like, oh yeah, yeah, like it gets like kind of close, but never has really like landed fully. That's encouraging, though. I'm, I'm glad yeah. to hear that at least the conversation is happening. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we trained a bit together for the ART Ombud program. Uh, I haven't actually been able to work on a show yet. It was supposed to start this spring with Keen Teens, but then everything fell apart. Um, But what has your experience been like working with that program? Um, I think that it's a really, really beautiful program. I think that it is um, a lot of the work that I'm interested in doing. Um, I I think that my sort of initial experience being with Slave Play – I think that that, that's a tough, that's a tough cookie to crumble with. You know, Um, I don't know if that's the right way to say that phrase, but that's the way I said it. So here we are. Um, (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But, you know, um, I, I think that uh, there was, I think that it, you know, with the right show that's really ready to have those conversations, I think it's just like a really crucial thing to have in the room. Um, And um, yeah, I think that more like when I worked on that, when I worked on slave play, when it was at um, New York theater workshop, uh, a lot more of the issues that I have with that text are about the text itself and about what it is doing, I believe, on stage, rather than necessarily um, how the process went, because I felt like they, that the process of actually creating it, um, at least, you know, everything that I saw and everything that I was privy to and made privy to by the actors was very respectful and very, um, like, you know, well-coordinated. But, um, yeah, I just think that, the unfortunately, you know, when you're working with a text that doesn't, that isn't really grounded in... Um, liberatory politics um i just don't think that it accomplishes what it needs to um and unfortunately mm-hmm. I don't think it's like very safe for um act black folks who are in the audience mm, yeah will you explain what your role was as an ombud absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely um so my my role as an ombud is essentially to work as like an independent reporting source for any sort of like um miss uh, any sort of activity regarding like you know folks who are being uh, sexually harassed or anyone who is experiencing any sort of like racial harassment or gender harassment anything around that at all um, it's essentially what we are is just a way that we, we sort of exist outside of the company and are sort of just there to be like, you know, hey, 
if you need to talk about anything, if you, if there's anything that you're concerned about, bring it to us and then we will bring it to the proper people and make sure that that process is shifted to respect you. Um, and so that can be something as simple as, you know, just making sure that, you know, uh, that dressing room experiences feel healthy and safe, um, to something as extensive as like, you know, I've been sexually assaulted or harassed and, um, I need someone to facilitate um, a, reconcil- a reconciliatory process or even just, you know, to, to shut some things down. And uh, that is sort of our role and responsibility. And I think that that, is a co- that needs to become a commonplace practice in the theater. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. That, and I'm pretty sure it's a totally free program that ART New York offers. Absolutely. Uh, so theaters can, can get at them and partner with them to do this work. Absolutely. And I definitely encourage them to do so because I think like, you know, especially once we reopen, I think that, um, you know, there's so many avenues that we can take as far as like where the theater will go after this. Um, and I think that, you know, the more um, pessimistic side of me believes that the theater will lock down and, you know, kind of, uh, uh, locked down on some of its more like problematic practices um, out of fear that, you know, like, you know, we have to like regain some of the funds that we've lost over this period of time. Um, And, um, and my hope is that um, theaters will take advantage of these sort of like these free programs that do exist and are like funded to um, make sure that they don't return to like the same or even worse practices that were already in place. Um, So, I think that, you know, knowing about these kinds of programs and making more of them available is going to be really crucial in reopening the theater and re-envisioning what the theater can be like. Yeah, this has been such an exciting time to dream about the future and what's what's possible. Yeah. And I guess the Ombud program is kind of an example of this, but when did your life as an activist and your life as a theater creative kind of start to merge or how did they start mm. to merge? Um, so, uh, really it happened when I was in my sophomore year of college. Um, I was, uh, up, up until then, you know, I was Broadway baby. I, you know, I, I went to a fine arts high school. I took, you know, three to four dance classes a week. I took singing lessons. I did, I did all of the things I've been dancing since I was four years old. So I've been a performer for much for like all of my life, you know, it's just, it's something that is a part of my bones. Um, and so two years into kind of the program that I was at in college, um, I realized like, Oh, this predominantly white institution really doesn't know what to do with me. Um, I came in being very clear that I'm an actor first, that that is where my value lies. You know, I'm, you know, and, and they kept on sort of treating me and casting me as if I was, as, as if all I could do was dance and I'm a very good dancer, but you know that, but I also knew from a very early age that that was never where I was going to end up. I knew that I was never going to end up in a dance company. Um, and I think a lot of it looking back now is because of, you know, my understanding that like, Oh, the dance world is never going to cast me as the woman I am. Um, but I didn't obviously didn't have the language for that at that time. So I went back to Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm from, and um, was radicalized by um, a woman named Sarah Young, who first sort of, you know, exposed me to what activism could look like. And it was the first time that I had found something that I could do besides theater. And I come from the school of thought that if you can do anything besides theater, do it because it's such a tough business. And to sort of be confronted, you know, after, you know, a solid 19 years of having no plan B, no other idea of what I would do, to be confronted with this thing that felt like, you know, this this field of work, this, um, this organizing process that felt so crucial to my being, um, it, it, it frightened me. And so, um, 
so I went back to school and I started refocusing all of my classes to um, focus on um, to focus on, uh, you know, social justice work and, you know, um, identity work and things like that. And just kind of learning all the things that I didn't know that I needed to know. And, um, as I did that, I just, I I started to learn more about, you know, um, Augusta Bawal and theater, the oppressed and, and, and essentially learned that there, there was already a large precedent of people who were using theater and storytelling as a form of activism. And so I said, Oh, well then I'll just do that. That sounds lovely. (laughs) That sounds great. Um, and so then, you know, I moved to New York um, and the job that I moved to, I thought was doing, you know, really, uh, transformative and powerful work, um, in the theater. I learned that it was really not doing that. And so I found a place that was doing that. And now I've kind of developed into doing my own independent work that, um, balances those two things. And so for me, um, I've, and also just working as a professional for the past like five years in the, in, in the, in the New York theater scene, I have long since learned that there's just no way for me to walk into any, you know, theater, any space as a, you know, lesbian, non-binary, trans, black trans woman, and for, um, and, and just be there just to kind of do my job. You know, um, I, I love when that does happen where I can just do my job, but it is very rare. And there's always someone who's kind of, you know, either out of the corner of their eye or directly looking at me, uh, asking me for answers. And so that in and of itself is a recognition that, you know, I have a choice to make of how I'm going to engage with that, that look you know, that look that we get as pe- as marginalized people who um, receive that look and sort of that question of like, oh, well, can you tell me how I should do this um, for free? And, mm-hmm. uh, and so learning to kind of advocate for myself and learning, you know, to become that black girl in the room that no one wanted to listen to or that people get annoyed with, you know, um, or that black girl who just says no. Um, and learning to do that is, a, is um, you know, requires radicalization, requires activism and requires, you know, a strong sense of self to say like, you know, no, I as an actor have rights and I as a human being have rights to say what I will and won't do. And um, if you're asking me to do something that is outside of my acting work, that comes with a fee. And I, and I, that is listed on my website and you're welcome to go there where you will find my fees listed. Yeah. I think this goes into the next question we were going to ask, but you've pretty much answered it is that there's that look, that expectation that folks from marginalized communities will do that labor for free. And I think there is a shift now to, to make sure that those folks are compensated. Do you you feel like leadership in theater is on board with that or are they, is it still a gap there? I don't think leadership in theater has ever been on board with like, you know, act actively like putting their money where their mouth is in regards to the inclusion of marginalized people. I think that like, you know, we see that in so many ways. Um, I think that there are certain leaders in theater who are really dedicated to doing that. And I'm so grateful for them and so grateful for their role. I mean, like Natasha Singha at Signature Theater is someone who I think is actively interested and invested in doing the work. And I've seen her do it many times. And so um, I'm grateful for folks like that in the theater who are ready to do that work. Um, But there are plenty of others who I think um, have long since proven that they're really not interested in doing any of that actual transformative work, but they're just trying to react to the times and stay relevant. Um, so, the, and the, and those folks that will become clear and if it is not already, those folks will, it'll become clearer and clearer who they are. Yeah. If you're just trying to check a box, I think people right. see through it pretty quickly, at least um, audiences that they want to bring in, will see through it quickly. And it's interesting, right? Because I think that even in, um, I, I do want to be, do you want to be clear that it does take effort and work to bring those things to the light because there are plenty of audiences who are perfectly comfortable themselves not to like, you know, and unfortunately the way that our, um, society has structured wealth and, um, and affluence, uh, is, 
means that many of those people who are disinterested in doing that work have the money to back up their disinterest, you know, and um, they have the ability to kind of say, oh, I know I'm perfectly fine to go to the theater and never have to think, please don't make me think and I'll pay for you. I'll pay you enough money to make sure that I don't have to think. And if you, and if, and I think that like what it requires from theaters, like really sustainable work like that, that actually, what that actually involves is making sure that you are saying, oh no, take your money away. That's fine. We're going to do this thing here. And that's a hard ask, um, but it's a necessary ask and it's something that needs to happen. And so, um, yeah, it it turns out that um, activism and social justice is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, believe it or not. Believe <laughs> definitely it believe not. it. <laughs> in your role when you work when, um, as a cultural competency consultant, is there anything you wish that theaters uh, knew that you do not do in this role? Like kind of where is, I guess, where is the, not the line, but what what would be um, kind of the parameters of, of the position? You know, I don't actually have too many um, qualms with like that as much because all of that gets worked out in a contract that I can clearly point to and say, hey, here's what I do and here's what I don't do, you know? And if you want me to do that extra thing, you can add that to my contract. I think more of what I'm interested in is um, theaters uh, who I develop a relationship with as a cultural competency consultant and other things that I do like that, remembering that I'm an actor too, and an actor foremost, actually. You know, um, I think that it's the easiest thing to sort of talk about my activism work and things like that, because those are the things right now that have gained a lot more prominence. Um, But the very fact that those things have gained prominence, like I've been, you know, I'm really pretty new in my activism work and especially in my called consultancy work in the theater. Um, and the fact that that is kind of what has gained the most exposure is more relevant to understanding like how we are, you know, treating actors who look, love and live like me, because, um, I've been acting for, and I've been performing for so much longer than I've been doing activism or like period, you know? Um, and so I think that for me, what I wish that theaters who bring me on as a cultural competency consultant would remember is that it's like, oh, by the way, when I'm doing all of this work, I'm also doing it for myself. A little, a little part of it is for me as well, so that mm-hmm. I can hopefully, you know, get, you know, be, like encourage theaters to become better, safer places for me to do the work that I want to do. If, like, if if cultural competency became irrelevant tomorrow, fantastic. That's kind of what I would love to have happen. Right. <laughs> I would love to work myself out of a job and back into just being an actress, like. I, I like, I, I appreciate how much like people are like so kind to me. And so like, you know, like, Oh, like we we're, we really love what you do and how, and your voice and all that, that makes me feel lovely and great. But here's the thing. If I could just be pretty all day and be on stage, <laughs> be a thing. I would love to do that. If I could just wear beautiful gowns all day and like get in, get on red carpets and take photos of myself and have people take photos of me and then just be on stage. I would love to do that. That is the dream for me. But the thing is, is that to be in that world in this body as I am today would require an overhaul of the cultural, of the cultural world and the cultural landscape that we live in today. And so for me, like, I just would, I will, I hope that theaters will remember that it's like, I'm not doing this because I want to, I'm doing this because I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to do is tell stories. What I want to do is be on stage because that's what I'm, that's like what I'm meant to do. And I feel like, you know, yes, there's a, there is also part of me that's meant to do this work as well. And obviously because I'm called to do it and I have the capacity to do it, but activism is hard. It's not easy work. And I would love for it to have some easier days. I would love to have, you know, a six month process, honey, where I'm just like sit back and like the idea of just like waking up 
doing like, you know, some yoga, drinking like a green green drink or fludge or whatever the, whatever the girls are doing these days, you know, and then just like stroll my way into a theater for a two show day, please. I would give anything. (laughs) And and that's not to downplay the the actual like labor and intensive work that is required to like do a show and do a two show day at all. But that is something that I have been training for my whole life. You know what I'm saying? Like I've been doing this since I was four years old. I am trained to do that. I'm trained to do a two show day and wake up the next day and do a five show day. You know, that's like something that I am trained to do. I have been preparing for that my whole life, but having to wake up every day and face another name, another hashtag, another, and having to be the, having to be the person who calls upon people to make a difference, having to walk into rooms where people are having conversations like, Oh, well, do trans lives matter? Like, that, or do Black Lives Matter, you know? Having to have that, I was never prepared for that work. That's just something I had to do because I had to say something because I was constantly surrounded by people and I was just like, this is, this is just not okay. And I, and I feel like I have, a, I feel like I'm committed enough to make my voice heard. Um, so I think that that's something that I really hope that like people would remember when they're hiring, like at, at least me, I can't speak to anybody else, but like, please bring me into some of these auditions. Like just, and, and, that, and I, if that seems selfish, then I'm sorry, but I really would just love to be an actress. I just want to act y'all, but, um, and I'm happy to do the rest of it because it needs to be done. And there are people, there are black trans people who are being ignored in the theater who I refuse to let them be ignored any longer. But I would also just like to have a job where I'm acting because that's what I love doing. Yeah. I mean, I think the fight for liberation is so we all can experience joy and like go to work and not have to worry about getting murdered or, please. I really like, honestly, all I want, all I have ever wanted to do was just be pretty and have a spotlight on me, sing a couple songs, you know, maybe cry in a couple scenes, maybe even (laughs) shout once or twice. You know, I wanted to have like emotions and things. And then I wanted to go home. I didn't want to do any of this activism stuff. This activism stuff happened because it needed to happen because someone needed to say something and, or, and, and more importantly, someone needed to be made to listen to the people who were already saying something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. How are we going to be able to hold, or what do you think are the bigger kind of systematic changes that are going to need to happen for all the theaters to be held accountable for these statements of solidarity that are coming out now? Um, just being more accountable to the black community, LGBTQ plus folks. Uh, what is that shift? I think that shift, you know, what would be, you know, what I think would be amazing and what I would love to see theaters do. I don't care about your statement of solidarity. I want you to come up with a statement that says, that our full season, not like our little, like, you know, like reaction to COVID season, but our next full season with all 18 shows and five kids shows or whatever it is, all of them will be written by black playwrights, every single one of them. And all of them will um, feature 50% black trans people. And, and we will be firing um, this person and we will be firing um, this artistic director and this, um, you know, and this person here and replacing and overhauling our staff and fill, and populating that staff with half um, um, black folks. Um, I, I myself as the, as the executive or artistic director am stepping down to and, and replacing myself with this particular person. Our board is, we are now developing a community board made up entirely of, um, of community members who have, who are not, who are not responsible for like raising money per se, but are, um, but have equal voting status with the rest of our board of directors. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Those are the things that I want to see. I want to see like very, because all of them are actually quite easy. That's the thing is that like, you think that they're hard because they scare you, but it's imagine how we feel walking down the street every day. Yeah. Like that's, what's actually scary. It's not scary for you as like, you know, a wealthy, well, like quote unquote, whatever that means, well-educated, you know, white cis person who has had access to countless resources time and time again. Um, It is not scary for you to quit your job. It's not because Mm -hmm. you actually have savings and you've been able to build them up and build them off of the back of the black people that you brought in for your one little show or the trans people that you brought in for your one little show. It's not scary for you to lose your job. You have resources. You'll find somewhere else to work. Oh yeah. So you need to quit your job. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. Quit your job. And while we're on the subject, like the same thing goes for cops. Please just quit your job. <laughs> yes. I mean, in general, there just should not be cops or prisons or things like that. Like I know that the girls aren't necessarily really ready to have that conversation, although they're starting to now all of a sudden. But yeah, yeah all, all cops need to quit their jobs. All just we don't need to have them. So I think that if you are in a position of power and you want to make a statement of solidarity, your statement of solidarity needs to include your, re- your resignation. Absolutely actually make this space instead of talking about making the space that's a step take that step yeah every episode we're going to uplift an organization that supports the lgbt community uh and you are the founder of the ochre project Mm -hmm. can you share you know what you do and how folks can support you absolutely um the ochre project is a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by black trans people by bringing home cooked healthy and culturally specific meals and resources to black trans people wherever we can reach them. Uh, that was our focus prior to COVID was um, bringing in black trans chefs to cook for black trans people in their homes. Obviously we can't do that anymore. So we have shifted to um, the COVID-19 relief fund, which sends $80 at minimum to black trans people who apply and who have been affected by COVID-19. Um, and then the other thing that we have created is the Nina Pop and Tony McDade Mental Health Recovery Funds, both of which supply Black trans people with one-time 100% free um, mental health therapy sessions with a Black therapist. Folks can donate on our website, www.theokraproject.com. Our last question before you have to run. Outside of theater, do you have any other queer culture indulgences you want to share or recommend? Ooh, ooh. Um... Oh goodness, that's such a good question. I can't think of it right now. Um, it's like all the stuff that's like gone now. Um, but I think, like you know, uh, I I'm a big fan of um, uh, these aren't necessarily cultural indulgences, but these are other organizations that I'd like to personally shout out because I think that they've been amazing at like you know creating space for folks like me. Um, Femme Premacy, uh, Ratchet Realm for the Girls, um, spelled J G W O R L S. Um, Black Trans Femmes in the Arts, created by Jordan J, is another incredible um, collective to support. Black Trans Media, as well as Black Trans Travel Fund. Please support all of these various organizations and collectives as they are addressing um, the real-world needs of Black trans people and Black people in general um, and Black queer folks. Um, and then for the organiza- for the collectives such as like Femme Premacy and Ratchet Realm, which are just like sort of party spaces, um, both of those um, center and celebrate uh, Black trans people. And so I definitely want to give them a shout out because they're awesome. How can people follow you online? They can follow me at the free actorist on my Instagram. That's T H uh, E F R E E A C T O R V I S T. And then uh, on Twitter, it's just at free activist. And then my website, www.ianfieldstewart.com. Thank you so much for being here with us today. This was incredible. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. You can email us with your queer culture indulgences, any theater recs, or anything else you'd like to share at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and eventually discussions on live theater. See you next time. Bye. (laughs) Okay, bye. 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 Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.